when you think of Marilyn Monroe, when you think of Audrey Hepburn, you don't think of these studio shoots. You think of seeing them in real life, doing real things. So that's what I focus on because I want to take the pictures that will one day be looked at like that. It's why I don't often... This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, today we are going straight to the top of the A-list for celebrity, not only for actors and movie stars, but for the shooter as well, for the artist. Today, we are talking with Greg Williams. You know his work from just about everywhere in entertainment. He is one of, as his bio says, one of the most trusted and acclaimed photographers in entertainment. We're talking absolutely A-list people here. If you look at his website, you see names like um, Kate Blanchett and Joaquin Phoenix and Brad Pitt and Kate Winslet. I mean, the list just goes on. And Greg has been the official photographer for the James Bond franchise for more than 20 years now. Beyond that, 200 movies he's done specials for. This is the kind of work that just about all of us admire and really wish we were doing ourselves. Not only that, Greg is generous, big into education. You go to his website, gregwilliams.com, and there's a whole section there simply called Learn. There are videos, there's talk about not the technical stuff, not f-stop and, and, and you know that kind of stuff, but how to approach photography, how to approach your subjects, what kind of role the photographer should have. Really, really engaging work. Greg, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott. I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Man, it, you have got a career that is really, really one to envy. But you didn't start off, you know, shooting um, all these award shows. You didn't start off with celebrities. You say that you started shooting when you were six years old. How did this all get started? Well, I was a, a distant relative who I've never seen since. Came was visiting from Canada, and he came into our house when I was a when I was six years old, and he had cameras all over his body. He was a really keen amateur photographer. So he had like, but, but he had everything. He'd like, you know, he'd sort of travel. He'd go around your house and he'd have a tripod with him. And he'd have, you know, he'd have the SLR with a really long zoom lens and a huge flash on top. And then he also had a one of those Polaroid cameras at the real height of Polaroid where now I've mm-hmm. never seen such a flash Polaroid since. But I just remember it was the kit that first interested me seeing the process of him take a photo and then that photo appearing in front of my eyes on the Polaroid was, was, was huge for me. So that really caught my attention. Anyway, a few weeks later, he'd gone back and totally out of the blue, he sends this um, really crappy old 410 Instamatic camera. <laughs> and it had literally, it had lumps missing off it, right? But it was light proof and it worked. So I got to work starting to take pictures. That's where it started. But what was odd was that you could ask me, within a few weeks of that, you could ask me what I was going to do in my life, and I was certain I was going to be a photographer. 
Um, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and it's weird because I, I doubt I could have known how dyslexic I was at that age. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't apparent <laughs> probably till I was 11 or 12. But I'm, uh-huh. I'm very dyslexic. I have the odd task of having had the worst... The, the, the mock exams are the ones that you do before your main exams when you're 16 in the UK. And in my mocks, I got 11 U's, and a U means unclassifiable, means you're so bad oh they my. couldn't even give it a classification. So it's below an F and a G is a U, right? <laughs> and, and I got 11 of them, and it was the worst report. It was, sorry, it was the worst results in my school's 220-year history. Oh, um, man, so there, I, there you, you, you're setting records at an early age then, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and my parents were pulling their hair out. And it was, yeah, so, 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 but what I realized is that when you have lots of choice, you become quite good at lots of things. And when you have one choice... I had two choices. I was either going to join the army or I was going to be a photographer. They were my only, you know, they were the only things open to me, uh, you know, because I, 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 I had, I grew up in a very artistic family. My father was a writer. My mother was an artist. My brother's a painter. Um, so I was completely surrounded by art, but my hand-eye coordination was terrible. I couldn't line draw and I was dyslexic. So the writing wasn't high on the list either. Uh, so there's something about not having the choice that you just say, this is what I've got to do. And my, my son's very dyslexic. And it's something that you sort of hope the kids find is they find this one thing. Cause if you can spend a life doing one thing, you've got a chance at getting quite good at that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you, whereas if you do everything, it's, it's just much harder. I, I feel sorry for people that are straight A students and everything. Cause I think it's always hard for them to know exactly what, what's what they're calling is because they're sort of good at everything was photography a calling for you was there something i mean other than process of elimination was there something about making images that spoke to your heart and soul oh, oh no doubt absolutely i mean that, that's that's what i you know it's what i did i know when i did uh i did an exam at school in photography and i i sort of i famously got a u in the written work and i got an a overall which was it meant that the, it meant that the practical had to be the, the only way of achieving that was to have a hundred percent in the practical, and we uh, I, I didn't really realise it at the time because I was just shooting film the whole time. We used to bulk buy film at school, and we you know I could get a roll of film for about forty pence. At the end of the year, it turned out that I'd shot more film than the entire class put together. <laughs> so it was Were you developing more, developing in the, in your basement. I was developing at school. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, developing and printing and doing everything at school. But it was just, it was what I did. It was, it was, it was how I communicated in lots of ways. And it's quite mad. I found some of the old contact sheets, certainly from when I was about 15 years old. I found these contact sheets. And what's weird is the pictures look more like what I do today than a lot of the photos I took in the uh, 30 years in between. Oh, um, my. Which is really odd. It's like I've, you know, it's a strange thing to say. I turned 50 in August and and I could tell you hand on heart that I've only truly found my voice as a photographer in the last four years. 
Well, that's one of the questions I'm going to ask you in a few minutes, because you've got this whole turn towards participation, towards being more present in the work. And, and I, I certainly want to get there. But you said you know, a minute ago that you had two choices, photography or joining the army. And yet, Really, you did both because you started, you know, at least the, the major part of your career uh, as a war photographer in, you know, in Burma, in Chechnya, Sierra Leone. How did you get into that? I'll say one thing. I, um, I know too many proper war photographers to call myself a war photographer. I spent six weeks of my life in a war. And uh, uh, the war photographers I know have spent 10 months a year for the last 20, 30 years in a war. So I, uh, I don't call myself a war photographer. But I did, but I, as a photojournalist, I did cover foreign news and I did cover some wars. Um, but it just wasn't, you know, I, I just, I have too much respect for the people that really put their ass on the line year in, year out to call myself that. They, they are doing <laughs> remarkable and necessary work. That, that yeah, is true. they really are. They really are. They really are. And so I don't want to. Be, I don't want to belittle them by saying, "Oh, yeah, I've done that too," because I don't feel. I don't feel like I have, even though I have had some pretty mad experiences. It was. It was a very short piece of time. Okay. It? Yeah. Then comes along the Sunday Times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the war stuff was. You know, I think if I'm really honest with myself, was probably more about me wanting to be an interesting person you know you hear people that really they see what's going on in the world and it moves them to such an extent they risk their life and limb to bring these stories to the world and at age 19 I don't think that was my motivation if I'm honest and uh, I wish I wish it had been but I think you know I don't I, I, I think I think that I wanted to be Interesting. I'd never left Europe. I'd never really travelled. I'd never done anything. I thought, wow, I could do something extraordinary. And you can. You know, if, I remember people saying, you're so lucky that you got to go to Chechnya, for instance. I'm like, well, what do you mean? They said that you got the right to go. I said, but I didn't have the right to go. I bought a flight, a tourist flight to Moscow, and I blagged my way down to Chechnya. And no one gave me permission. No one employed me to do it. I just went and did it. You know, so many uh, photographers, especially earlier in their careers, are spending their own dime uh, to get to places to take, to take shots. There, there's a whole, you know, universe out there of early career photographers just busting their butts to get stuff done. But again, you the opportunity comes along and suddenly you're getting access to the film industry. That stuck. T tell, tell me about the early stuff and tell me why you kept this part of the photography as your focus. Well, I think, I think it's probably worth understanding the, the, the sort of, on the 40th anniversary of the setting up of Magnum Agency, my, they did a book and my dad bought it for me for Christmas. I don't know how old I was. I was probably around 12 or 13. And I really started to study the great photojournalists. And I would look at, War photography, but I'd also look at Marilyn Monroe on the set of The Misfits, right? And 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 mm -hmm. and, and, and mm -hmm. there was an absolute unity in the pictures, right? There they were they it was still reportage photography. And so I was as interested in one as I was in the other. And you know, there aren't many of them, but there are some photographers that really straddle those two worlds and, and there's fewer and fewer of them. You know, in the 60s, I think there would have been, you'd have found a lot of photographers that would have gone from Vietnam to a Hollywood film set. But today, that's much 
that happens a lot less. You know, the simple thing happened to me is that I, I, in Sierra Leone, I had the absolute shit scared out of me. And it was the, the greatest relief I've ever had in my life was the day I decided I wasn't going to another war zone. And it, you, honestly, it's, it's, it, it, was, it, it, it was the most colossal relief because you sort of, you do sort of go, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting mm-hmm. myself in harm's way? You know, if I want to help people, I can help people. You know, I can help my neighbor. I can help the person down the road. I can help all sorts of people. And this job's making me very unhappy, which it did. It was a really, really difficult time. So I made that decision, but I still wanted to sort of do... I suppose, photojournalism. Now, to be clear, I don't regard myself as a photojournalist today. I I have a photojournalistic style, but I'm not a journalist. I'm not not seeking to uncover some dark truth going on in the entertainment industry. I'm, you know, I'm I'm really, I I love what I do. I love working Mm -hmm. with the people that I work with. I get the most colossal buzz from hanging out with and collaborating with some of the world's great artists. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think of f- film and TV today is the predominant art form because of its commerciality, that and, and you know, that and music. And to work with true, true talent is an extraordinary thing to do. To, to be able to collaborate with them. And my work's very collaborative. And in a way, when I talk about finding my style in the last few years, it's because I've really sort of tried to harness that spirit of collaboration, the idea that my idea and their idea together could be bigger than either of us could have thought of, right? And whilst mm-hmm. being open to the stuff that you couldn't make up, you know, the stuff that you couldn't make up. So that's why I don't go in and say, this is my lighting rig. You come into my world, you sit on that chair, and now I'm going to take your portrait. I love things to be collaborative. In fact, quite often now, I don't like to look in a room before I go in to photograph someone because I want it all to be new to me and I want it to be spontaneous. And I absolutely, you know, it's something I talk about in the skills course, which we'll go into more detail on later. But Mm -hmm. there is something about walking in a room and analyzing the light and the shapes and the environment and your subject and where they are and what they're doing and to spontaneously vibe off that and off them and to deliberately not have all day to take a picture. There's something lovely about having three minutes to get a good photo because (laughs) I'm going to get 180 seconds of that person's attention, right? Because that's all I've got. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and so to keep things fresh, I mean, in fact, when I do do stories that involve lots of clothing changes, I often say, okay, look, we're going to, we're not going to spend more than three minutes on each picture. So they'll check a change. They could be in the chair for another 40, 50 minutes. They come back out three minutes and then Mm -hmm. we will review the pictures and we'll look at it and we go, we could have done something more here. We could have got more here. And then we go, right, let's go again. Three minutes or two minutes or one minute. Give me 10 seconds of your of what I'm looking for, and that will be enough. Because obviously, as a photojournalist, you didn't have any seconds. You had right. 250th of a second to get a picture. Life's just passing by in front of you. So, so, so what you end out with is this sort of, it's like a juggle. You, you have your preconceived ideas, you have your experience, but you also have to 
always remain open enough to realize that something that you didn't expect might be the much better picture. Okay, that that is a perfect transition to, to one of the stories I know you've got that, that I want to hear you talk about. And and I want to back up also just a little bit, you know, and we'll come to this in a second. You say you like going into a room, you know, a lot of your shots, a lot of your celebrity shots, you know, are sort of circling around award ceremonies. So a lot of them are in hotel rooms. The lighting in hotel rooms is generally pretty terrible. You know, so how can you walk into a room knowing that the light's going to be horrendous? and say, I want just two minutes of prep time to figure it out, and away we go. No, no, no minutes. No minutes of prep time. Straight in. Okay. Uh, so no, I, I, mean, I mean, look at looking at the light. Yeah, but you don't need two minutes to look at the light. You, I walk in a hotel room, and if the light's horrible, I turn the light off. <laughs> I mean, most of my photos, I turn the light off. Because, okay. you know, and, all, and you open up. I mean, you know, if I maybe go to a 1600 ASA, you know, there's, there's wow, wow, there's some light in here now, Right. Um, mm-hmm. the, you know, there's the, 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 light everywhere. You know, I, I tend to, the camera I use most is the Leica Q2, and that's got a 1.7 lens. So if I'm a 1.7 at 1600 ASA, and, you know, they're not jumping up and down, I can generally get away with shooting a picture at an eighth of a second if I hold my breath and fire a few frames, you know? Okay. So, so you know, or, or lower. And so I, I just turn the lights off if they're ugly, but also... When we're talking about ugly lights, we're generally talking about down lights, right? Which give right. those sort of panda-eye right. shadows. Um, in the eye sockets all go dark. And 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 I, 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 this may be what you were referring to, but I've got a very simple trick with that, which is the same trick I use in midday sunlight, which is that if you can't move the light, then move your subject. Because those down lights... If you turn your face to 45 degrees and then I go on a, you know, some maybe I elevate myself as well above the subject, that ugly downlight is now a beautiful key light that's chiseling cheekbones and defining jawlines and making eyes sparkle. It's one of the things I love about not lighting pictures. And I do like pictures. And, you know, I have a studio in London and I have a particular lighting setup that I use that I think makes people think as little as possible about the light and as much as possible about the subject. But but when I'm out and about, I love that challenge of having, you know, where do you place that person within the light? And, you know, my safest thing, if I walk in a hotel room, even I remember I did a shoot with um, Penelope Cruz and it was towards the end of the day and I'm in her hotel room and I've turned all the lights off and it is really dark. It probably is an eighth of a second, but, you know, 1.7 but I sat her near the window and turned it into this most beautiful backlit photo where you know her skin looked fabulous because there's you know there's there's no sort of harsh direct light you know when you're backlit everything that's lighting the subject is a reflection of absolutely everything in the room so it's the softest light imaginable so that's um, I suppose a specific Thing, but there are these tricks that you learn, and you just you you put those same tricks into absolutely every job you do. So there are so those rules that I, there are there are a bunch of rules that I talk about in the skills faster course, which is the quick the quick course. That that's the process I go through every single time I do a shoot. I just go through that process in a fraction of a second nowadays because I've been doing it for so long. Yep. Um. You know. 
Greg, one of the things I noticed about your pictures, these people, they like you. When they're looking at your camera, they're looking at a friend. They are eager to, you know, do whatever you're asking or I mean, just they're not shying away. They're not like, oh, God, here's another person with a camera. And, and I know it's not you know, instantaneous. It goes over time. It goes over with the success of your work. But when you've got a community that is so reputation savvy, how do you build trust so that they're willing to try what you're thinking about? Well, there's two, there's two sides to this. I think, I mean, the best answer is just be nice. You know, like have a positive agenda. What I said earlier about not being a journalist, I sort of, I really mean that. I don't feel like an outsider coming and looking. I feel like an insider looking at, you know, I, I feel like an insider. I'm, I'm, I'm welcomed like an insider. To date, no, I, I am not aware of having ever fucked anyone over with a photograph, right? I, I show everyone my pictures. I've never, I've, I, I've never believed that people shouldn't be allowed to see them. What, you know, what is the possible advantage to me of one of my subjects not liking the photo I took? There's no advantage to it. So I let people know they're safe. I let people, and, 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 and you know, the, the first meeting is always a different one to the second. Uh, and what I do pride myself on is that I do get those expressions from my first meeting often. And, you know, there is something about, I suppose I'm so confident in my process, uh, you know, in the process of how I, how I go about doing my job. And that process isn't just how you take the pictures or what you like, but it's how you talk to people, how you make them feel safe, how you let them feel that this is someone that knows exactly what they're doing and is completely open to collaborating with them on it. And then obviously the second shoot's so much better and the third shoot better than that. And, and, and when you, you know, by the time you're in situations with a number of actors where I couldn't tell you how many times I photographed them. It's fantastic because you can walk in and you don't have to persuade them of anything. <laughs> they know exactly what's going on. I'll often walk in taking a photo. You know, I'll, I'll have the camera to my eye as I walk in going, oi, 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 oi. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. <laughs> Does it help that most of these people are actors that that they see you and and you know at one level they're confident in their ability to emote? Um, I think yes, it, it, yes and no. Yes, it helps, but don't forget actors aren't models. Often, and 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 they're very aware of their image and their persona. So photography can still be a very daunting thing to actors. It's a very different. Acting is a very different process to modeling. And it's never about a camera that's going click. It's about inhabiting a character and then delivering what you're doing as that character. That's not what happens when I come in and take their picture. So 
it, it, it's maybe not always as natural to everyone as it sounds. Don't get me wrong. There are actors that absolutely love being photographed, but there's others that don't, <laughs> and I still get great stuff out of them. Mm-hmm. L- let me ask you one more sort of general question, th- then I want to move to a couple of specific images, and then we'll, then we'll get to the, uh, the skills faster. But just in general question, you know, you said earlier that you've got a photojournalistic style, and a lot of your... I mean, Majority of your images are black and white, sort of you know old school newspaper stuff. They're well, that's beautiful. what I show. I, I, I show my black and white, but I shoot tons of color. I mean, it, you know, I'm shooting. I'm shooting digital. There, there are color versions of most of my pictures. Yes. But on my Instagram feed, I like them. You know how how I designed them to be shot, which was in black and white. But you, you've got true candids, you know, at the award ceremonies and stuff where you're catching people mid-action. But a lot of your more um, posed shots are in a candid style. Yes. Um, so, so tell me about, you know, the Greg Williams style. Tell me about the aesthetic. You know, w- what is it about that, that, that kind of candid spur of the moment, even if it's not mostly black and white style, is speaking to your sense of photography? Well, firstly, there's a timelessness. I'm, I'm looking for timelessness. I'm an actor today is often not yet iconic, right? 30 years time, we can look back at them. They're iconic, but right now they're not because they're too, because it's happening now, you know, things to become iconic. I think you need some time to pass. Yeah. It's like, it needs to be somehow. I need to mature in people's minds and then, you know, and those characters live on in, with people. And, 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 and as soon as you start to get, it's very interesting. I, 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 the photos that I took on Casino Royale are the first photos that are genuinely starting to feel like that because it's a film people know and love so much, but also because of the setting and the fact that it's, you know, the lovely old Aston Martin and, and Daniel at, you know, that period felt so much like a sort of Steve McQueen. You know, you had that brilliant, timeless feel to it. You know, but obviously, you know, whatever it is, 17 years have passed since then, and those pictures are starting to have this other element to them, which they didn't Mm -hmm. have in 2005. Now, I don't believe that when we look back on the great, acting talents of this generation that we are going to be fawning over super retouched lit styled portraits of actors in photo studios i don't think that's what we're going to look for i think we're going to look for you know when when you think of james dean when you think of you know william claxton's amazing photos of um steve mcqueen when you think of Marilyn Monroe, when you think of Audrey Hepburn, you don't think of these studio shoots. You think of seeing them in real life, doing real things. So that's what I focus on because I want to take the pictures that will one day be looked at like that. It's why I don't often go in for particularly trendy fashion in my pictures. I like timeless fashion. I like stuff that you could have worn 40 years ago and you could still wear today and you could probably wear in 40 years from now. And so there's something about creating those modern classics and that's sort of what 
interests me. It also interests me getting into places that are impossible to get into. I, I often just pinch myself. I'm in situations like, oh my God, how the hell did I get here? Um, and and, and that, that, that gives me a great deal of, pressure, of pleasure. I would say a, a, a career of, of big su- success and strong talent is how you get in there. Tell me, you mentioned Casino Royale a minute ago. Yeah. I mean, clearly one of the things that people identify you with is the James Bond movies. Yeah. Um, and how in the world did you get to be the official? And what is what is the official photographer? The for official the doesn't mean anything. I've just done it so okay. long that that's been said <laughs> by people. I'm not official anything. Yeah, but but yeah, I, as in there's always a unit photographer on the films. I'm, I, I'm right, home right. in there every day. I just sort of come and go to different degrees and, and different films. Certainly when, so when Casino Royale came on, I'd already done a Bond film. I, I did Die Another Day. So I sort of was, uh, I suppose, a, a part of the Bond family in that respect when Daniel started. You know, I, I photographed Daniel's screen test. Oh, okay. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I took the photos that went off to Sony when everyone was deciding what to do. You know, though, so, I, so I already had a sort of... Uh, I think I think I, I understood how to photograph the character, if you know what I mean. Well, no, I, I just think it, it, it's amazing, and I'm jealous as hell because I mean, I, I would love to be on any of those sets. But is there something about the timelessness of your aesthetic that seems to match that franchise and that I'd idea? Hope, I'd hope so. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you can't think of James Bond and not think of you know. Of your pictures these days. Well, thank um, you. No, I'm thinking, you know, yeah. <laughs> I know, but I'm thinking Sean Connery up in the Alps leaning on the DB5. You know, you can't, you know, you, you have those things and you kind of want to carry on that legacy. And, you know, I think, I think it's why the actors I work with like my pictures because, you know, I'm taking the pictures that in a way puts them in the same sentence as those greats from days of old, you know? And it's, why, and it's why I use the black and white, because it adds to that feeling, you know? Yeah. Clearly, it's been a success. I, I mean, you and Daniel Craig came out with your own special edition Leica. I mean, they- <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. That, 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 that one I'm still pinching myself about, to be honest. Yeah, no, I mean, basically, I hadn't seen Daniel for ages, and I went um, to, to sort of talk to him about uh, working on this film, and we, we did some photos together uh, in his gym. And he was, uh, I said, oh, Leica have asked me to do a camera. And he goes, really? They've asked me to do one too. And I was like, I was like, well, <laughs> would you? And he goes, well, if you would, yeah. I, I, and, 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 and so we just went back and we said, look, we'd like to do it together. And they sort of, oh, they, went, they went for it. And that's the, the great. Fastest selling large, for, for a large, you know, because they made a lot of them. They made 750 of them. I wish they'd made more. We, we, yeah, they, 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 they sold out really quick. I think we sold the first 500 in about three days. That was pretty, pretty um, it That's fantastic. Walk me through a couple of images here. And, and the, these are on your website. And, the, and, and everybody, once again, that's gregwilliams.com. This is the Kate Winslet picture where she's standing, you know, elbow deep in the ocean. Yeah. And I was, I was watching, you have a wonderful website where you unpack some of these photos. And I remember, you know, you said you needed three things that day. You needed a camera, you needed an idea and lots of luck and the camera. Okay. The idea, you also say you threw away the minute the rain started. 
because you know whatever idea you got to the set with didn't work. And she was willing to just you know let's go experiment. So well, tell me the sto- tell me the story of that day. Well, we, firstly, we've worked together a number of times, and the last shot I'd done with her was actually uh, it was was near the water, and she you know where she got splashed by waves. I did a shoot for her for British Vogue, and and it, and it was a good photo and. She'd asked for a print and I'd made her a print of it. So we had that nice, you know, we, 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 I was coming back from a success. And basically it was, it was starting to really, really piss with rain. And I, I just said, look, I'd rather use this because if I was, you know, if, if, if I'd come to you and said, I'm going to put you in a thunderstorm and I'd rented water tanks and rain machines and wind machines, you know, we'd all sort of get into it. So look, we've been given this for free. Let's do this. Because remember, I'm not, I don't even have an assistant with me. It's just me and a bag of Likers, right? I turn up. But I love so much about this shoot because it was during the pandemic. So no one wanted lots of people to be around. So she did her own hair and makeup. We chose her clothes from her wardrobe and we said, let's go out to the sea. And I didn't ask her to go that deep in the water. We just started walking in more and more and more and more. And Kate does cold water swimming, so she wasn't at all bothered by that. And the water was actually quite warm. And the rain was coming, and we just realised that it was going to be a powerful picture. So we kept going until she got to the depth that that photo's taken in. What I love about that picture is that it looks like one of those Vanity Fair covers from 20 years ago. Yes, it does. And had it have been that, there would have been probably over 40 people working on that show. <laughs> there would have been rain machines. There would have been water tanks. There would have been safety divers. There would have been stylists, styling assistants, makeup artists, makeup assistants, hair, hair assistants. There would have been catering. There would have been easy ups everywhere. There would have been people from the magazine stressing about how it's going to go. There'd be all this stuff going on. And I don't know if you've seen the behind-the-scenes photo that accompanies that, but Kate's husband took one of my like cues and took a photo from me. And I am wearing some swimming trunks with my jacket on, taking a photo, holding an umbrella. An umbrella, yep. That that (laughs) is the entire production of that photo. And... I just love that if you don't go in with this big preconceived idea, which I didn't have, you know, it's as by far as much Kate's idea as it was mine, an absolute example of one plus one equaling three, right? Where you go in and by being open, you have the opportunity to take pictures that you couldn't have dreamt of that morning. Oh, that, that is good advice for everybody. So t- tell me about this new direction. Tell me about being more of a participant. You, you talk about this event that you were at where you start high-fiving people and then your, your hands in the shots. But that's, I mean, it's, it, it's not only that event. This sort of was a sea change for how you see yourself. Yeah, it was. It was there's something about, it probably comes from joy, come, probably comes from seeing joy. When you see joy on someone's face and you capture that and that person's joyful expression is coming into the camera, the person that is viewing that photograph senses that joy coming into them. It's like, it's almost virtual reality, right? It's it's like first person, I'm experiencing this moment because it's coming to me. 
this isn't an observed image of someone having a interaction with someone else. This subject is interacting with me and that extends to everyone that looks at the photo. And that to me is a lovely thing to do. It's a lovely, positive kind of picture to take. Now, I'm not suggesting for a second that I do that in all my photos, but I do find myself doing it more and more and using the first seconds of meeting someone or the first seconds of re-meeting someone to, to, to capture that moment. You do get lovely stuff. Well, it's not only joy. There, there's a different kind of intimacy there um, mm. when you know you can see your hand or your part. You know, the, the photographer is participating yeah. Uh, yeah. in the image somehow, and it flies in the face of what a lot of people, and especially you know, street photographers have as a goal, which is to be almost invisible. Yeah, um, yeah, so, I, absolutely. And I, I have left that behind, and it was what I tried to do in my past, and I did it to some some success at times but you're more of an insider if you get if 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 it's coming to you than if you're crouched down in a corner watching it happen elsewhere in my opinion I, and i i could not agree more so it's probably not on your list of things but I, i've i'm also in the process of in the middle of april we're releasing our uh, um releasing the first issue of a new magazine that i've set up and uh, it's called Hollywood Authentic. And for anyone that's interested, they can subscribe for free and they will get a magazine posted to their house. And they just go to hollywoodauthentic.com and there'll be an opportunity to subscribe. But the magazine is this inside as a Hollywood, but it's not, a fo- it's, it's not just a photography magazine. I mean, the, the cover, which I can't announce right now, is a, a, a deeply authentic Oscar-winning actor, and you know, there's there's like there's over three thousand words of interview in there as well. I'm also videoing lots, so there's a there's a newsletter and an online presence for the magazine where videos will play. And it is really all the work I've done in the last twenty odd years within Hollywood. Twenty five years now, I've been working in Hollywood. It is the culmination of all those relationships. You know, with 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 the actors, with the publicists, with the agents, with the film companies, and and then with the fantastic writers I've met over the years and all this stuff. And so what it's trying to do is recreate that thing that I looked at when I was a twelve-year-old kid, which was Life magazine's Hollywood reporting <laughs> from the sixties. And so that's what it is. I thought you were going to say you were looking at an Instamatic with a flash cube. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg, you are already really generous on your website with education, but you've, you've got a candid photography course on Skills Faster. Talk to me about this project. Yeah, because, and, and I also yeah. have a pro course on Skills Faster. Well, I have both. Um, so to be, to be clear... Well, to be clear, the reason I'm being generous on my website is because I'm asking people for money on Skills Faster, and you know, don't get me wrong. I think I am generous, but I'm also a mercenary little bastard, so I am making money on this stuff. But oh, yeah. the, you know, Skills Faster so far, I think we've sold close to forty thousand courses, um, so it has been 
remarkably much more successful than I ever thought it was going to be. And and at some point, I'm going to be doing something that is a bit more of a gift. That um, the but but I but I it's probably a little early to talk about that. But I am going to be doing a, a, a version which will be uh, which which I won't be charging money for. But the idea of education in the whole for me is, and this sounds really sort of up my ass, but I love <laughs> the idea of helping to democratize good photography. We are communicating visually in a way that human beings have never, ever, ever done. And, you know, and, and not always in a good way, right? You know, if you think of social media and, you know, nowadays, do you write to your lover telling them, describing the sunset you're seeing on a beach and wishing they were there? You don't. You send them a photograph. And, or very few people do. And, and, and we, I'm not being funny. We send photos of a, of a negative COVID test. We send photos of our lunch, right? We are taking photographs of everything because it's so easy to do nowadays. And so my theory was if there's 6 billion people in the world taking photographs with their phones and I can help them improve that, then there's got to be a clever business in there somewhere. Plus, it's a really cool thing to do. You know, you're actually improving quite a, a sizably important element of their life nowadays. And I know that sound that may sound like I'm over-egging the omelette, but most people that you talk to send a photograph to someone they know most days. And you go back 20 years, that just didn't happen, right? Didn't happen at all. You know, I love um, iPhones. You know, I think they're bloody brilliant. I think the, 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 the camera on them is extraordinary. The quality of results that you can pull out of a phone now is extraordinary. Not just iPhones, smartphones. And so for me, it's like, look, if I, there's an opportunity to help people get better at that. And so my view, so on the website, we have, there's a, there is the learn section. And basically every picture in the learn section has a little italic eye icon in the bottom right-hand corner. And if you click on that icon, you can hear the story of how I took the picture, what I was thinking, the decisions I made, a bit of fun about what was going on and the, and some technical details of how I did it. And then you're also offered possibly to buy the camera that I took it on because I have a camera shop. And if it's a print that we sell, it may also have, uh, give you the opportunity to buy the print. But the idea is that you could go to my learn and you'd probably learn pretty much everything I teach and skills just by clicking through all these photos. But uh, if, if you want to make it easy for yourself, then I, I'm, I'm trying to charge some money for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to just remind everybody, it's skillsfaster.com and it's gregwilliams.com for, for the, the main deal. And of course, there's over, a, I mean, Greg, over a million people on Instagram. That's impressive. That is fantastic. Yeah, no, that was a big milestone, actually. Slightly different for me than for some others because my Instagram is very, you know, up until the launch of Hollywood Authentic, my Instagram has been how I've communicated the way that I see the world. You know, I mean, you know, because, you know, I, I used to work for magazines, but it's rare that they're just your favorite pictures that go in a magazine. You know, there's, there's a lot of other people that weigh in on that stuff. 
there's a lot of editors telling you that you can't use black and white because the readers don't like it. Or, you know, you, you hear these things. And, and, and Instagram, for me, allowed me to show the work I wanted to show in the way that I wanted to show it when I wanted to show it. And it was a long time getting there. But yeah, hitting the million was a, was, 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 was a lovely thing. <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic. Can I say on skills? So just to be clear, there's, there's Skills Faster, which is a beginner's course, which is um, the price varies, but it's not it's inexpensive. All you need is a smartphone in order to do this course. Um, that's as good a camera as you need. And of course, you can have whatever camera you want. But what I'm talking about is, you know, is light, composition, storytelling, visual narrative, and how to interact with your subjects. And then I talk a bit about the editing process and, you know, something I describe as editing with your heart rather than your head. So you kind of, you find the picture that sort of ticks the box you need it to tick, but then you look for the moment that in some way you believe is real. Um, and so the that authenticity, which you've heard me mention, is that the authenticity is an incredibly important word to me, hence why it's the name of the new magazine. So then we've also done a course called Skills Pro, and this is a far more detailed, substantially more expensive course where I go into much more pro lighting setups. So, you know, I I do a setup, which has confused a lot of people because they think I'm saying that I shoot with seven lights on at the same time, and I never, ever do. But I've got about seven lights placed in a studio that are on a board, and it means that I can, in an incredibly short space of time, illustrate to someone how to recreate all the lighting environments that you might see out in the world, just out on a sunny day, and or, or, or just out in a day, whether it's sunny, cloudy, whatever, and how you can recreate that within a studio. And so I give examples of that and uh, of the lighting, and I show it, I show the contrast to that with, with, with moments that I've shot as reportage photos, but I also show how they've become commercial magazine covers and stuff like that. And then I go into a lot of detail about the business, you know, about understanding copyright and your rights and what you need to try and hold on to. And I talk about buyouts and just how to value yourself and how to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And then my manager, Bob Ford, also talks for another hour or two in much more detail about the business side of things. <laughs> you know, because I, I the, the, almost the basis of the course is that professional photography is 50% professional and 50% photography. And and not a lot of people really take that on board. You know, like, like it's not as obvious as it sounds. You know, I think I spent the beginning of my career 96% photography, 4% business. And lo and behold, I didn't earn a lot of money. You know, and the idea that you've got to make the business that important, you have to. And so that course is called Skills Pro. Uh, I'm very proud of it, but it is it is an investment, and it's an investment because it was a quite an investment for us to make as well. It was a, it's a it, it took a long time and was a, you know I, I I'm not sure how many hours, but it's 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 many hours of material. 
Yep. I mean, Greg, and I, I like that word. It is an investment, an investment that the people that take the course are making in themselves because you look at your career and man, you've got the experience, you've got the advice and you have a brilliant and eloquent way of sharing it. Thank oh, you, sir. Thank this, you. Is, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Scott. I've really enjoyed it. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.